Welcome back to our cafe. My name is Dolan Nelson. And my name is Noah Chang. And we are your hosts for Cafe Debatable. Our cafe is a place to discuss, debate, and disassemble the different aspects of these topics. Grab a cup of coffee and let's get right into it. And today's topic is the effectiveness of the coronavirus response in the United States. And we'll be having this wonderful discussion with our guest, Jio Shin, a high schooler who is an intern for the congressional candidate, Michelle Steele's campaign. So Jiho, how was your experience as an intern for a congressional campaign? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, so I was admitted uh, to the California's 48th con- congressional district's uh, campaign. campaign, uh, And the candidate for that is, uh, candidate for that is Michelle Steele who is working with the Californian Republican Party to take back the 48th district from Harley Ruda, who is uh, a Democrat uh, taking office right now. And uh, I've been an intern for a month, approximately a month now, and it's been a really meaningful experience uh, getting getting to know all these influential people in Orange County and uh, enhancing my work experience. How did you first get to know and interact with the Steel campaign? Uh, I first interacted with the Steel's, uh, Michelle Steele's campaign through a volunteer organization called PAVA, which I uh, really uh, participate regularly. And um, I actually volunteer, volunteered first to call voters and contact them. And it it has fascinated me ever since. Thanks, Jiho. That's awesome to hear. Well, now we're moving on to our discussion, and I would like to hear all of your guys' general opinions on the coronavirus response. So first of all, I would like to talk about masks. And recently, they've been a major controversy. So what do you think the requirements for wearing masks should be when should people wear masks and what should the consequence be if they refuse to wear one? I believe that to stop to prevent the spread of the coronavirus, uh, I think people should be required to wear masks. And uh, yeah, I also saw a lot of controversy surrounding whether you should be like required and forced to wear a mask. But I think it's definitely for a greater good, and I don't think people should be selfish by not wearing uh, their masks. Right, right. So I agree with your opinion, but like, what, what, what should be the limit? And like, for example, the BLM move, movement is causing a rapid spread of of um of assembly of mass assembly. So, like. How do you think um, we should handle this situation? People should be required to wear masks. Mm-hmm. And those people who say, who say that um, requiring masks is um, banning the freedom of individuals, um, that's what's, I think that's what's like becoming a huge problem today. That's, that's harming others. And that's not, that's not limiting the freedom. It's just, it's just the safety regulations. And the fact that, the fact that, the individuals are trying to avoid wearing masks and avoiding safety and avoiding the the safetyness of others that is that is that is also 
that is also in a way attacking, attacking others through unsafetiness and unsanitary conditions. So that kind of goes into the question of what is the best way to enforce this, especially in our current situation. So that's where there's a loop. Law enforcement is trying to enforce masks while there are protests against the police, such as the BLM movement. Although the government establishes state and federal mandates to wear masks, you kind of have to enforce them. But because of these protests, police aren't as willing to enforce these regulations. So what is your guys' take on that? I think both of them should be made because Trump mandated, mandated the Defense Production Act, which focuses on people wearing masks since it's an emergency situation now. And the act depends, uh, act spends money of what's the primary importance of danger. So I think some law should be acted on about safety regulations if these radical claims continue. Uh, and Gio, what do you think about um, his question? Uh, uh, I also uh, agree with Noah, but I think I have a slight difference uh, with this uh, claim because I think there's a limit on law enforcement uh, uh, trying to make people wear masks. Like, there aren't that many, that many police officers and that much funding to uh, actually enforce this, uh, enforce actually force people to wear masks because there aren't enough there there just aren't enough police officers to go up to every person see if there's uh see if they aren't wearing masks and if they're not arrest them or find them like that's technically impossible and there are limits to that so i think yeah like more civil approaches like social media is more effective but what are you going to do with the um what's your alternative solution to this um because people are riding against polices and there aren't enough polices and um voluntary voluntary volunteers who are who are trying to um regulate the system so what what's your opinion um yes so you talked about you kind of touched uh on police there there aren't uh being enough police officers and funding to actually enforce these safety precautions to prevent the spread and just, just it's for the greater good. And uh, I think that kind of brings us to uh, the defunding, uh, whether we should defund the police or not. And I firmly believe that we should not defund the police because like that's just illogical. Like the police are, the police reinforces law and other civic, civic like or, uh, and enforces civic orders. But why would you defund a police? Why would you defund police? That would make for even more chaos, even more riots, and even more unorderly uh, conduct. So my central question um, among that was, um, what, what would be the alternative solution for, for this situation? Thinking off of that, an alternative solution, I think, like we mentioned before, because law enforcement can only do so much. So by having the media and community members focus on issues such as not wearing masks and also promoting the basic things that people can do to help the coronavirus response, I think that will have a greater impact in order to help convince people to actually take these precautions. 
So now to lead this in a different direction, I want us to talk about China. In the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, when the United States had to have their first reaction, and something that President Trump did was issue a travel ban on China. So do you think that having a travel ban so early was the most beneficial, or should there have been a different response? So um, Trump is a modernist, right? And also he has he previously um, had claims about why he disliked China, and how he didn't like the liberals' opinion on on China so much, and that ties into like the tax, taxes added on to like the caravans from China. So it's like it's like Trump's like best chance to kind of deal with deal with China. So the the origin of the virus was from China. So it's it's the it's the best way of propaganda as well as I think blocking China and competing with the Chinese economy. So I think that was Trump's opinion opinion on this. Uh, what about you, Jiho? Oh, yes, I think it was a very effective way of responding to the coronavirus because it originated, we all know that it originated in Wuhan, China. And like, like what else can you do except issuing a travel ban on China? And like, it's common sense. Like, there's a virus in China that's killing people. So stop people from traveling from and to China. Right, right. On a different perspective, maybe a travel ban on China wasn't enough. Considering China is a major economic hub for imports and exports all over the world, it may have been a delayed reaction to travel ban other nations, such as the European Union and other nations around the world. Uh, specifically because many major airports and docks don't actually have the necessary detection equipment at the time to detect the virus from other places, um, especially with around only five major airports at the time actually having equipment to detect the virus. Well, the thing is, we have we have both sites that check for coronavirus, right? So, so China on its own checks the coronavirus before before the airplane or whatever transportation site like activates so um shouldn't they like have enough safety regulations that will that will like prevent coronavirus um spreading to the u.s and before the public got notified of the coronavirus uh china china was like pre-developing and Korea um, was pre-developing like a solution for for <laughs> the situation. So it would be it would be a good idea for both of the countries to work on the coronavirus. And and the, the medical factor isn't related to any political issues because the medical factor should be egalitarian. Everyone should get the medical check. And it's it's not about politics. It's about it's more about like, everyone getting the checkup. That sort of um, talks about um, the U.S. because the reason why travel bans were issued so early is that the Trump administration wasn't entirely sure if they could trust the data from China, which is also why the United States pulled out of funding the World Health Organization um, because they believed that the um, information that was coming from China was unreliable. Right. So right. based on 
um, should the United States put their trust in China's um, scanning techniques and their research to actually help I mean, the solution, or should the United States actually try to regulate more of its own and take a stronger stance independently? That's a really uh, important thing we have to uh, answer at this time because, and I think that um, we shouldn't actually trust China's data or information coming from them because uh, in a political, like if you look at the political aspect of China, it's strictly dictatorial and it's ruled, it, it's ruled by the dictator Xi Jinping and its uh, communist party is censoring all information that would possibly lead people to believe something that the communist party does not want them to believe and uh yeah and uh basing off of that i think the data coming from data like the medical data all the data about the coronavirus first passes through the chinese communist party and in that process, I think some censorship, some uh, fraud, and some fake new fake information gets like inputted to that. So I don't think we should believe China, and I think the United States should uh, be dependent and develop try to develop a method or a vaccine by itself. Exactly, exactly. Um, and tying on to that, what do you think about like? Um, virtual schooling and how how America is handling um, these schooling like um, these education systems around the world. For virtual schooling, I think it also ties into Jiho's talk of censorship. The data that has been going around the world is that the United States coronavirus cases are skyrocketing, and actually, that for the most part might be true, but that also indicates that countries such as China with heavy censorship policies also may be um, skyrocketing. So based off this, should um, virtual school, the decision to go to virtual schooling or standard schooling be actually based off of the statistics of the United States compared to other countries? Or should we trust our own data and make our own decision based on right, that? Right, right. So like the thing is like um, every every country is, is um, pulling up their own statistics and and we can't really believe their censorship. So, like, so uh, although although why, why the statistics are really important in this situation is, like, if the if the statistics if the comparison somehow goes wrong, then we might think that uh, everyone might think that the U.S. is the highest, um, because they're they're just unsanitary. They'll have those stereotypes. But then, um, look at the number of checkups, like. Let's compare Japan and Korea, for example. Korea had a vast amount of um, checkups, and Japan, on the other hand, didn't have a lot of checkups. That's why their their number of coronavirus cases um, differed a lot. So I think the the vulnerability of data is also preventing us from um, knowing the accurate information, whether we should do virtual schooling or whether we sh we should put the hybrid idea. And um, I think Gio has an, another opinion about this too. Yeah, uh, going back to Dylan's point on whether we should, like, I think he meant uh, whether we should compare our casualties or uh, all the cases to other countries and make a decision off of that, or is it like independent? I think it's, I think it should be 
strictly independent because like say if i'll say the united states is 10 in coronavirus cases or deaths and there are like nine other countries with more casualties and more cases i, I don't think that means we should open schools because we're 10th in the world i think if people are dying in your country regardless of uh regardless of relativity to other countries i think there should be orders there should be quarantine orders and there should be we should close down schools yeah exactly i think it should be absolute so, rather than relative. yeah yeah so so the fact that the data aren't are accurate proves us that like let, let's compare this in in um a more more smaller scale for example um the this cart is like um believes that we we only know that we we exist because like the individual knows that he or she exists but we we can't really know if others are really exist because we don't have the the same mentality as others so this situation is kind of like that um because we can't believe other other datas um we have to solely believe on our data and kind of move move upon that so i think america should should strictly believe on their um their data instead of like trying to compare with other nations data Jiho was talking about uh, virtual schooling and the need to quarantine if people are dying in your nation. On the question of that, are American schools doing enough to ensure that education is being taught at a similar quality at, uh, than it is at traditional schooling? Especially because although coronavirus is a major event, there also has to be consideration that the education of the children uh may be at risk oh yeah i i recently saw uh saw like a news article regarding that topic and i think it's a really serious problem and i think it's one of the consequences of the coronavirus and yeah i agree i think that i don't think that any virtual schooling done through online or blended or hybrid can ever match the traditional schooling like uh it's it's just completely different and like lack of social interaction is just in a in its own a very huge part of learning and education and just being deprived of that just means motivation to, uh motivation to study or learn decreases your uh like worth ethics decreases your productivity decreases and everything has a negative uh, impact on that. So I don't think, yeah, I, th I think that's a really serious problem. The corona coronavirus has brought upon us. Y yeah. So I guess online school, uh, there, there are a lot, of, there are pros and cons for everything, right? So online schools have their own pros and cons. Um, pro would be like, Stay, staying safe and con would be like would be like less social interaction as Gio said this is cafe debatable and we'll get right back to you after this short break
So bringing it back to the governmental response, there's been stimulus packages for small businesses. There's also been various resources put for elderly centers. But is there a plan that you see that the government could put in place to help support virtual education so that the deterioration of education isn't so bad? Um, what I what I finally think about virtual schooling is, of course, we have to care about our health, but um, like the school's demand of of like art of like alternate solutions right away uh, is becoming a problem because like we should care about our health first, even though even though um our education is kind of um, unstable right now and enhance their point instead of just making a complete new way um to fix the, the social problem so um i think we should we should kind of calm down and focus on focus on one thing at a time um to find like a the to to get the best out of um like online schooling for example yeah yeah, so building off of that, the benefits of traditional learning is having a direct interaction with the teacher and having students being able to discuss curriculum with each other, which is the flaw with virtual education, where lectures are being presented and students are just expected to take notes and then the exam is that they don't really have that discussion. They don't have such a direct connection to the teacher. They're not able to really talk face to face and by having the government step in and reform the way they're doing virtual education so that people are able to um, have students discuss with each other the things that they are learning and also for them to have more opportunities to ask questions during the class, allowing um, people to develop um, yeah, discussions exactly. and better that missing void that traditional schooling has had. Exactly. So what Korea is doing compared to, um, compared to America, because uh, I just I just came back from Korea. Um, they they have like every block the teacher is monitoring on the, on the Zoom calls, and uh, even P even PE classes they they see uh, what the students are doing in order to regulate and um, make order um, instead of like going uh, breaking education out, like out of place. Because if um, for example my school. Um, they they're not doing a, uh, they didn't do a good job on their online schooling process because the, we 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 didn't have a lot of Zoom calls like we we had um, occasional Zoom calls but we we never had them every day daily so um, it's breaking the the atmosphere of of like class in general so I think I think schools um, have the the heaviest responsibility in in fixing this problem for students. Um, who probably some of them um, can't really uh, can't really uh, afford afford um, private schools since since um, they don't have money to maintain. So like schools should um, have a heavy responsibility and should um, kind of skew the the this process in the right way. Yeah, especially because as we talk about the fact that productivity levels and motivation has been going down um, through virtual schooling, um, having that sort of sense of responsibility or discipline and uh, making sure that like students are actually completing their work is a, I think is a very crucial step in ensuring that uh, students are actually getting the education they need. Because 
for example, and that's, the, that's the um that's the fundament of capitalistic idea. Like students who work hard don't get the the prize for it, and that's just breaking like the structure of educational capitalism. Yeah, basically uh, talking about since we're on the topic of how this connects to work and a normal workplace and job, um, the uh, per, the management is always keeping in check their employees. They're making sure they're showing up on time completing their work and school is very much like an occupation uh, they're going uh, people are going to school so that they can learn so that they have they can build off this in the future so likewise uh, all many people aren't motivated to go to work just like many people aren't motivated to go to school but holding these people accountable is how you can ensure that schooling and education maintains a high quality so let's go on to um sacrifice zone so um, like Israel, for example, Israel is having a critical, critical problem right now um, since their growth of domestic products, according to JSTOR.org, um, will diminish and could even be negative and households will lose earning power and the Israeli capital market, like the global market, will be hit with sharp declines that hurt pension funds, advanced study funds, and investment opportunities. So Israel is one of the sacrifice zones. And um, if if these quarantine regulations are made in Israel, they uh, it's already made, but um, since they're made in Israel, it's becoming a huge problem because they can't maintain their economy um, while, while maintaining their individual health problems. So like, what do you think, how, how should they regulate their economic problems um, and health problems at the same time? And this kind of ties into the United States, as well as uh, the constant argument of whether or not we should open up the economy and risk spreading the coronavirus, but because it is necessary to uphold the economy in the long term. So a large part of quarantine is shutting down business and staying at home. Thus, governments can stop the immediate spread of coronavirus. However, people are not able to go to work and the economy continues to fail in places like Israel, then people will be left without food, without water, because they can't afford it, which would still have a major impact in their lives. And I think the solution is maintaining precautions and staying six feet apart and wearing masks, which greatly reduce the coronavirus risk, but still opening up parts of the economy. Um, even though follow the regulations, properly um they they anyways have to have to go to workplaces to maintain their uh, um economy right now but what israel is doing right now is they are banning banning schools and banning factories and banning workplaces so israel is um israel is closing the workplaces closing the factories for closing the educational system so their their basic economy is um declining and um the immediate economy problem and immediate uh, health problem is in a, a, a quick danger. So how are we going to solve immediate problems at the same time? That'll be that'll be extremely hard for a sacrifice state to maintain both at the same time. And if we support the economy, then um, a lot of people will get infected. However, um, because uh, and we have data that proves that Israel's um, people are, are getting um, infected a lot. And if we support the health problems, then the economy will decline severely. It will decline very fast. So 
So what, like before Israel um, becomes completely bankrupt, what should we do? Like what, what will be a, gr a good idea? Because other nations, um, even the other nations are um, like maintaining, um, they aren't able to help other like small nations because um, they are having their own problems right now. So how, how should we save these uh, small nations? For example, the United States has opened parts of its different uh, industries and to uh, re-support uh, nations such as Israel, uh, opening uh, different parts of their industrial sectors and maintaining precautions, as I said before, greatly reduces uh, coronavirus. Because ultimately, if bankruptcy happens in these small countries, people won't be able to afford food, they won't be able to afford water and basic necessities that they need to survive. So in right. order to keep people employed, I think having a more open set of precautions, instead of hard uh, quarantining, such as the United States has done, emphasizing the need for precautions such as wearing coverings and as much as possible separating each other will allow, allow them to um, to limit their amount of immediate coronavirus cases and help prevent uh, future issues such as economic decline. Especially because in the United States, a lot of the resources are going to actually quarantining people. However, so you want, so you, you're saying you want a small increment like of, of allowing a certain type of like primary um, business and certain type of primary like health conditions? Uh, for example, markets that are very, who uh, have people of very close proximity could be major health hazards. But um, having other businesses that are continuously operating and trying to keep people, as many people employed as possible, allows um, the economy to continue to run. How and also keeping in mind of the health standards of other citizens. Uh, wait, but how will that keep the economy continue to run um, if like, because they have to work on their full in order to maintain their the balance of economy. But if, if only um, a certain type of, of business start, then like that won't like benefit, um, benefit the balance between immediate health. Uh, what I mean is that the government itself, because the government doesn't have to focus so much on quarantining guidelines because it knows it needs its economy to run, uh, what it can spend more time is that the government agencies can focus on clearing different business types. For example, there could be certain regulations for real estate, and especially because a lot of economies are gone through um, retail, such as flea markets, having the government review the ways that people can maintain these precautions specifically for each business is crucial. And I right, think that right. before the precautions are drawn out, those are the uh, business sector uh, sectors that um, will eventually be integrated. But I'm saying that a slow opening of the economy over time as they are checking the correct precautions for each type of business. Okay, so jstar.org um, has has a similar opinion to yours, but a slightly different in a way. So it says, quote, in order to limit the financial damage, the Israeli government must build on the robust starting point and increase the budget and the deficit 
to a considerable extent and allocate the necessary budgets for health services while protecting the national economy. So that's kind of the similar gist of what you're talking about, except um, except like um, main, main uh, okay, so the similar thing is cons um, leaving the deficit to a considerable extent. And um, and the different thing about um, you and this website is talking about is um, building on the robust starting point. So I think, yeah, I think the ideas about like, uh, kind of sacrificing the sacrifice zones um, for now, like for this situation is um, is considerable. Because if we yeah. don't, if we don't do that, like if we don't even do the minute amount of um, economy decrease, then how are we going to survive through through um, the economic um, decline like later on? So, we, yeah, I think your idea is is um, agreeable to some point. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to tie this back to the United States um, because the United States currently has a policy that is very quarantine heavy. Um, however, it, it should know you're not able to work at a job. For example, if your job requires physical labor, if the, when these people are not employed, they really can't afford to buy basic necessities such as food. And although there are some uh, stimulus uh, packages and also welfare, eventually the system gets overloaded and you still have lots of people who are unable to actually feed themselves. So not only are they worrying about the coronavirus, but just the basic necessities they need to live. Now that we've talked about um, the coronavirus response in the United States and the different effects of having different policies would be, we would like to just remind everyone a few safe tips on how to stay safe during this um, detrimental time. Right, so to start off, um, of course, everyone has to wear masks, but not those cloth masks. Family, friends, and trusted individuals have a, a much greater impact on deciding if people wear a mask. So by telling uh, close ones around you and your fellow community members to remind them about the importance of maintaining social distancing and wearing masks can save lives. Yeah, and uh, I have a um, quote from Orange County. Um, they said like three and above um, should be required to mask, uh, wear masks and then below three um, should um, be recommended. But I, th I think not just um, recommendation, everyone should wear masks because like, it's it's not it's not just about the self. It's about uh, it's about everyone. It's it's about everyone's health problems, and it's just like it's just a sign of respect, you know. Like the fact that you wear a mask and uh, doesn't make you like drown. We're not saying that if a mask medically prohibits you to survive, um, that you have to wear a mask. But something to yeah, know I mean, I mean, it's, it's their choice, right? It's their choice whether to whether to say say safe or not. But then, if you don't wear a mask, then other people can be harmed. Other other people who want to stay safe can be harmed, right? Yeah, so, that constitutional argument that they have the right to choose not to or uh, to wear a mask. When you're thinking about your rights, you should always remember that your rights always stop when it's infringing on others. Exactly. So exactly. By the like, like, like the First Amendment, right? Yeah, you should remember that although you do have the option to choose to wear a mask, um, saying that it is constitutionally granted that you're allowed not to wear a mask should not be your main line of thinking 
because people's lives are on the line. When you're not wearing a mask or following precautions, you're violating the other people's rights to actually live and have a healthy life. Right. That constitutional argument that they have the right to choose not to or uh, to wear a mask. When you're thinking about your rights, you should always remember that your rights always stop when it's infringing on others. Exactly. So exactly. By the, like like, by like the first amendment. Right. Yeah, you should remember that although you do have the option to choose to wear a mask, um, saying that it is constitutionally granted that you're allowed not to wear a mask should not be your main line of thinking because people's lives are on the line. When you're not wearing a mask or following precautions, you're violating the other people's rights to actually live and have a healthy life. Right. And that concludes our discussion of the coronavirus response in the United States. Thanks once again, Jiho, for joining us in this wonderful discussion as our first guest on the show. Once again, this is your host, Dylan Nelson. And Noah Chain. And we are your hosts for Cafe Debatable. Thank you for listening, and I hope you come see us again next week on Sunday.